This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Gen Z Money. This week, we're continuing our investment series and we're going to be chatting about managed funds. I've got Nick with me again on the show this week, so let's get right into it. Hey, Nick, thank you so much for joining us again this week. Oh, thank you for having me. So we've covered almost every uh, type of investment that we want to talk about in this series. And the last one today is going to be managed funds. Um, Now, people might hear about this in passing, but maybe not know exactly what a managed fund is. But you made a really good point before when we were chatting, Nick, that almost everyone is invested in managed funds without knowing it. Yeah, no, that's correct. And I think the, the the most common you know exposure that most people have to managed funds is through their superannuation accounts. Typically, when you invest in a in a superannuation fund, uh, such as an industry super fund, which can which is um, like Australian super, rest super, all those sorts of industry funds, they typically have um, what you would call a, a growth fund or a balanced fund or a sort of default fund. And then the underlying holdings within that would definitely have some exposure to these managed funds that we're talking about today. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And another thing without going into too much detail as well is that there are a lot of um, ETFs as well, which use managed funds as their underlying assets. So they're they're kind of everywhere. Um, But I guess maybe we should talk about one of the differences um, between a managed fund and let's say your regular ETF. We talked a bit earlier in the series about active versus passive investing. Which one would you say managed funds align more to? So managed funds align a lot more strongly with an active management approach. For that reason, predominantly, as I've said before briefly in, in previous episodes, is that a managed fund is an active fund manager that tries to beat the market index. So in previous episodes, we spoke about an ETF and an ETF pretty much tracks the current market. So it it tracks the market. And then what a fund manager does or what a managed fund does is it tries to beat it. But there are some sort of uh, things you need to take into account before um, you invest in in managed funds. Yeah, totally. So I guess it's like just with your superannuation, everyone pulls their money together and then there's a managed fund overarching that manages that money on behalf of everyone. So it's not like you're getting a one-on-one tailored service. You call up your managed fund manager every day and ask them to buy shares in Apple. Um, It's kind of like a group pooling kind of system. Yeah, that's right. Let's talk a little bit about how they operate. I guess what happens if everyone decides to take their money out? What if the managed fund's not performing well and everyone decides they want to take their money out and put it into cash? Yeah, so I think think at the... The reason for a managed fund and, the, and how a managed fund makes money is with people putting more money into that particular managed fund. Now, the managed fund or the managed fund type of world is a very uh, cutthroat sort of environment where if you aren't generating the return above the market, then typically a lot of you know, investors such as you know, yourself, Azaria, and, and, and a lot of the listeners if, if they're not meeting that performance benchmark that, you've, that you're expecting from them, then you have every right to withdraw the money from that. And then if everyone's in that same sort of boat thinking that that managed fund's no good, then everyone will take out their money and then the, the fund managers have no money to manage. So therefore, they typically um, don't exist anymore. They, they go bankrupt and they um, close up the fund if there's no demand. 
And is that something that happens regularly or is that something that people should be scared of? It's one of those things. So I, th- I think you might, um, you know, a, l- a lot of the fund managers that have probably have gone sort of under uh, are the ones that you probably have never heard of because mm. they don't typically have a long life. So uh, I wouldn't say it's uncommon, but I wouldn't say it's common either. So I kind of have to give you a bit of a cryptic yep. answer there. Yeah, <laughs> we can take that. We can work with that. Um, and then I guess another question is how much uh, insight do you have into what actually is being purchased and sold in a managed fund? How, how do yep. they update you on that? Yeah, so I think there's a few sorts of uh, correspondence that um, fund managers or managed funds uh, send out to um, investors. You don't have to be invested in a particular managed fund to be able to get information on it, by the way. So if you just Google the fund manager, um, then you, you should be able to find a lot of the information on some of the funds that they are holding. So I guess from a correspondence perspective, so they send out a few different things. So you can get something called a fact sheet, and that pretty much just says the very bare basics of the fund. Um, that you're looking to invest in, and that's typically on a one-pager. Another one that they do send out is a monthly report, and that's pretty much in a little bit more detail, probably around about you know five, five, five pages. And um, if you want to look a little bit more detail, they do send out a quarterly report as well, and um, that probably outlines a lot of the, the way that they view the market and the way that they're investing and then the way that they um, see that particular um, market that they're investing in and, and how they view that in the future and how they're positioning their portfolio moving forward. Okay, cool. So that's good to know. Is it just shares that you're investing in when you invest in managed funds or are there different types of managed funds out there? There are definitely different types of managed funds out there. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be shares. It can be a wide range of things. So there's definitely a lot of um, things you can invest in from a managed fund perspective. You can be investing in bonds, fixed income. You can even be investing in uh, emerging markets. Um, so very similar to an ETF, I would say, but then the way that they manage the money is a lot different. So mm-hmm. you have that same degree of exposure. You can invest in currency um, via a managed fund, but it's just a lot more actively managed than kind of just buying the index or buying the current market, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And with that active management, usually with anything in life, um, that will come with a bit more of a cost. Would it, would I be right saying that? Yeah, no, definitely. No, definitely. There's always a cost involved in, in investing in managed funds. And um, typically they range from about 0.5% for sort of a fixed income managed fund. And then they can go all the way up to about, you know, two and a half percent for the you know alternative funds such as private equity and uh, venture capital. Um, but w- when I say two and a half percent, I'm talking about two and a half percent of the money that you've put into that account. So for example, if I had $10,000 and I invested it into a, into a fund that cost 1%, then I'm being charged um, $10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Investment. So that gives that sort of indication of the costs involved. And that's, sorry, that's yeah. every, every year. Sorry, by the way. So you get charged that every year. So there's the fees that are inbuilt within the cost of the managed fund, um, but it's probably also worth noting that uh, a lot lot of people might forget that there are fees for the platform that you use as well. So could you explain to us what it actually means to use a platform to buy a managed fund? Yeah, so I think, you know, in previous episodes, I put a comparison in there, you know, to buy shares directly or to buy ETFs, you can use a a Comsec trading platform or, or a sort of brokerage account. To purchase a managed fund, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. So you'll be looking at more of an investment platform. So typically that would be uh, a, a sort of investment product that or an investment platform that allows a lot more 
ability to buy not just managed funds, but also have the ability to buy um, direct equities or to buy shares um, and to buy lots of different other things. So I give, it gives that very much wider range of investment opportunities you can indulge in, but um, yep. there's definitely a larger fee associated with that. Yeah, that's right. So there's the managed fund fees and the platform fees. And there's also often, and I think you'd agree, Nick, there's minimum investment amounts with a lot of managed funds. So unlike yeah, so with an ETF where you can buy one $50 ETF and you know, you've know you started investing, you, you'll often see minimum entry requirements for managed funds. Is that correct? Yeah, no, that's correct. So I think, well, there's a little bit in that. So you, there's two ways you can buy managed funds. So it would be one, which would be direct so that means you sign an application form and you go on the website and you complete an application form and you submit it to the fund manager and then you get you know allocated funds um, or mm-hmm. you get exposure to that sort of fund. But typically those sorts of that sort of avenue has a larger sort of minimum amount that you can invest in, and that sometimes that can range from uh, five thousand dollars or even up up to up to in some cases about two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars when you're looking mm-hmm. at kind of private equity or kind of uh, venture capital sort of arrangements. But yeah, you'd probably be looking at around about $5,000 minimum for most managed funds if you're kind of looking to get into global equities or something like that. But I guess a more popular way or the easier way to kind of get into the market without with kind of avoiding that minimum um, investment amount hurdle is that you can buy it through a man- uh, an investment platform that doesn't have a minimum. So you can invest um, $200 or $300 technically into a, into a managed fund. If you buy it on platform, then it, you, 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 can, you can buy it at that amount. So it's a, it's a bit of a difference. So I guess you can have that sort of exposure with a smaller amount of money if you're looking to buy different managed funds um, mm-hmm. on a platform compared to buying you know, it directly. So, so that's a common misconception I think a lot of people have about managed funds. Yeah, totally. It's it's becoming easier, just like with most investment options out there. It's definitely becoming easier to invest in managed funds than it once was. And then we'll touch on risk as we have with every different type of investment. What are some of the risks of uh, managed funds? We've obviously talked about the, the regular risks, such as the fact that your um, investment might perform poorly, all of that kind of stuff. But what are some of the risks that are specific to managed funds? Uh, I guess... You know, there definitely is an element of, um, you know, cost involved, mm-hmm. uh, definitely. Um, I think it's also, you don't have control necessarily over the investments that the managed funds choose to invest in. They definitely give you a sort of sort of scope or sort of area that they're targeting, but they don't necessarily communicate with you transparently on what they're going to do before they do it. They kind of do it and um, they place the trades and they manage and they invest the way that they think's best. And if they don't perform, then you then you're exposed to that sort of performance or underperformance as well. So that's something to consider. Yeah, I've been there, and I think we have an inkling that we might be invested in a similar managed fund, which we won't name. Who've always done really well, but it is hard when you see them performing poorly because you think, oh, "What if I was just invested in the index?" So I think you really got to be willing to ride the lows of managed funds if you are wanting to go into that. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, when you invest in different sorts of managed funds, because there are a lot out there from global equities to, um, you know, fixed income, each of them have a sort of a time horizon or, or, you know, amount of recommended time that you should be invested into that particular Mm. managed fund to be able to realise that value. So that's also something to take into consideration as well, how long you're willing to keep the money in that sort of managed fund for. Yeah, exactly. And we did talk a little bit before as well about people withdrawing money. Um, So that's obviously a risk if the fund does really poorly. Could, could end up closing at some point. Yep, 
And I guess another risk as well is not, or another risk as well is to just double check the, the sort of fees that they're charging because there are a few fees that we need to, that you need to consider going in. There's obviously that, um, that investment fee, which is that one that I mentioned before between the 0.5 to, to 2.5%. Another one is an outperformance fee. So some fund managers, definitely not all, but some fund managers charge a performance fee, which means that if they reach a certain benchmark or a certain, you know, 10%, for example, 10% return, sometimes some of the fund managers would say if for every, you know, percentage above that 10%, we do get paid an additional amount. So that's something to consider um, when you're, you know, considering investing in a managed fund and consider as well is also the capital gains tax and, and, and all those sorts of other considerations. Mm. And finally, the last one is also they have something called a buy and a sell spread. So I don't want to get into too much detail, but typically when you, it's, it's similar to brokerage. So when you buy um, into a managed fund, you pay um, a brokerage fee, which is typically very small. It's like 0.1% of the total balance mm-hmm. that you're investing. So that's something just to get into the fund. So then once you're in the fund, then you get charged that investment fee and then that sort of outperformance fee if that's you know necessary. And um, then, so that's also something to consider as well is that entry fee and that exit fee. So they also charge 0.1%. Typically, it's not exactly 0.1%, but just to give you an indication of the sort of fee on that sort of um, sort of structure as well is something to consider. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So I think that was a really good wrap up of what is involved in a managed fund. Before we finish up, Nick, is there anything else that you think people should consider when they're looking at managed funds other than, of course, getting financial advice? Of course, definitely. A lot. Typically, a lot of financial advisors would, would, would be very well equipped with the sort of fund managers um, that they would recommend for you. Uh, mm-hmm. So yep. definitely seek financial advice before um, going down this sort of path. But just to what you were saying, Azari, I think a few quick things that you should just consider when looking at a managed fund is to look at how long that fund's been around for. So when I say around, you'd see performance because that's typically what they show you. And anything around about above five years performance at least is probably something that's considered a, a, a quite a solid fund that's been around for a while. It's had a track record and that's something, um, you know, definitely a stronger sort of reputation compared to a fund that's probably been around for one year because it's not necessarily a true reflection on that sort of fund's performance. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I guess that's definitely another one to consider um, as well as those sorts of investment fees as we've spoken about in numerous <laughs> amounts of times in this episode because the fees yeah. are definitely something to consider. Um yeah. And also having a look at that investment strategy. And if you're looking at pairing different managed funds as well, just double check that there's not that sort of correlation or exposure. Cause a lot of the, when you say global equity funds, a lot of them would probably be investing in the same sorts of things as, as well. So to understand mm-hmm. the difference of what those sorts of managed funds are focusing on and then having, and then in the focusing on that diversification can definitely, um, you know, be a nice alternative to the sort of ETF and direct equity portfolios that you guys might have um, outside of the managed funds. That's it. You don't want to have three managed funds paying three sets of fees and they all overlap and invest in more or less the same thing. So that's a really good point. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Nick. This was a really good episode and we'll see you next week. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.